Aloha, it is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and we are here again for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast. This is the podcast where I talk about all of the geek in my week, uh, sometimes other things and feelings and thoughts, because it is mine. And I want to share all of that, so just deal with it. Anyway, moving on. As you guys know, uh, I usually cover topics of interest that are geek-related throughout the week. It used to be DCTV, but because CW and Amazon want to play with my emotions, that's on the back burner for the time being until whatever gets discussed or launched or whatever's happening over there at CW because I don't do commercials. So pause on all that DCTV. But I will be talking about other fun, geeky things like my feelings on the latest episode of The Magicians, episode three, uh, which, uh, okay. Yeah, I had some thoughts and feelings about it. I also had, um, I got the chance to catch a TV series on Amazon called Four More Shots. This was a very interesting television series that involves basically the, it's like the Sex and the City version of Indian women. I was not prepared, so I will get into that as well. Love the show. Was not ready for all that I was going to see on this show. Also, uh... Real quick thoughts on Punisher and Glass. I think I went over Punisher, but I'm going to go over it again because I don't know how deep I got into it. Publisher had very little to no fanfare when it was launched after it aired. Like it's been real quiet on the Punisher front. So I just wanted to throw my thoughts and feelings onto that. I also wanted to throw out some real quick feelings about Glass. I actually caught Glass the opening weekend it came out. But I hadn't really talked about it because I kind of feel like everybody said what needed to be said about that movie. But I'm still, I'm going to cover it. I'm going to cover it because I got space to fill. And I'm also going to talk about Russian Doll, which is another Netflix series that launched not last weekend, but maybe the weekend prior. That was actually really, really good and kind of deals with the duality of dimensions. So and potentially time traveling. It's very Groundhog Day. It's super interesting. So I'm going to be talking about all of those shows. As you guys know, this is a spoiler-heavy show. I ain't scared of no spoilers. I'm jumping right in as if you have watched all of this. So if you haven't watched any of the shows I'm talking about and you want to watch it before we get in on our listen, please do so. Pause here, catch up, come right back so we can get to talking about all of these shows. Uh, Real quick, self-promo. You guys know you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and my website, curvygeekfangirl.com. I am also, or you can also find this podcast all over the place. Uh, If you listen through Anchor, you definitely can catch me there. You can even leave a voicemail message, hint, hint, where we could actually have a live-ish convo. You never know. It might end up on the show. You can also catch me on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and a bunch of other places, like all these places. So wherever you listen to podcasts, I'm either already there or about to be. So please listen, please rate, please subscribe. All of that helps your girl out as you know, and I'm going to be jumping into what's going on with the magicians right after this. All right, we're talking about the recent-ish release of Four More Shots, Please, which is an Indian romance drama 
dark comedy, I would say, uh, that basically very much takes its inspiration from Sex in the City, except it's a place in Mumbai. So I caught it this past weekend. Apparently it dropped January 25th. <laughs> I just did not know about it until this past weekend. It popped up on my Amazon Prime and I was like, I'll take a look at it. Let's go ahead and check it out. I've seen some in some Indian romance movies in the past. Netflix has a lot of them and they are adorable. They're so cute and adorable, but they're also pretty conservative. Like a lot of the earlier movies I watched that were on Netflix from India barely showed any kissing. It'd be a lot of dancing, which was fantastical. And then it'd be like hugs and then, or like the, I would say like the head shade basically, or like you see the main characters back of their head as they near their, their love interest. And then they just kind of shadow over them. You don't even know if they're actually kissing or not. It was usually a lot of that, maybe a hug. So I was thinking along those con- like more conservative type of lines going into the series. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it is not. It's definitely pulling a lot of inspiration from Sex and the City. So not only are these women uh, getting it in, they are definitely, they're drinking and they're cursing. And I was like, what is this show? I get, exci- get so excited, super excited about this show. So essentially, uh, four more shots, please is about uh, these women that are trying to thrive in Mumbai. And they're going through a time of it. We've got Domini, who is uh, this blogger, the civil, I don't say civil rights, but she's got her finger on the pulse of a lot of politics that are happening around Mumbai. Uh, and she's interested in breaking a lot of stories based around a lot of the hypocrites. Hip- I can't even talk. Hypocrisy is happening in Mumbai. A lot of them uh, feminist focused, basically, like the rampant rape that's happening a lot over there. And if you've paid attention to any of the news, that's a big struggle that's happening in India, right? Well, for some time. And then we also have, um, what else is she doing? She she runs her own blogging site. It's like an investigator site under um, this umbrella company. But she's kind of going through it with this company. Like, there's stories she wants to do, pieces she wants to do, but they have to get cleared and go through a lot of bureaucracy even for her to do anything. And she's not getting a lot of good compromise when it comes to working with this company. She's been with them for a long time. And for whatever reason, she's starting to hit a roadblock with them. And that kind of culminates in them bringing in somebody else entirely who's trying to take their news organization in a completely different, what's the word? Can't even talk. Direction. There we go. In a completely different direction. She comes from like a tabloid background, and that's what she's focused on. Getting the being the TMZ of India for trying to get the dirt on these celebrities, trying to unveil and basically just be really messy when it comes to celebrities in India. And the company loves this because they're getting a lot of interactivity with their consumer base because of it. But it's not the work that Domini wants to do. So she's juggling that. And then we've also got, oh, as soon as I get their names, I will get it together. We've got uh, Anjana Menon, who I don't remember. I'll come back to that one. Who is this? Oh, no. Okay. So Anjana, Anjana Menon is actually uh, the, be- the beleaguered single mom. She has a daughter who's like four, 
three or four-ish with an ex-husband who she kind of has lingering feelings for. It definitely gave me uh, Miranda Steve vibes happening there, except less Steve because Steve was adorable and comes back to Miranda. And in this case, it's, I want to say it's Varun, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyway, it's her ex-husband who has no interest in coming back with her. He's actually starting a whole new life with another woman and her battle to move on from this guy she who she doesn't really love but who was who was a fixture in her life for some time and trying to juggle all of that without feeling guilt of moving on because of her daughter like she her daughter's young it's not like her daughter has a lot of say on what she can and can't do but in her head she kind of had this idea that although they weren't together they're were gonna be like this two co-parent unit for a long time. And now there's a third person coming in. She's like, I don't know what this means. So you get to see her growth and discovery of also introducing another person into her life and what that means and everything else going on with her work. She's the lawyer, which also probably fed into why I thought she was Miranda. And uh, the change is happening at work for her as well. We've also got uh, the Charlotte of the group, CD, who is... Uh, the perpetual virgin of the group. Her whole goal is just to get married. Very Charlotte. Uh, she is the bane of her mother's existence, unfortunately. So she's battling with a lot of, uh, just a lot of issues with her mom at the house. Her mom wants her to be like this perfect daughter and she's never been that. And she's constantly battling that image. She finds an outlet for all of that, you know, depression and angst in a very... Uh, unconventional way to be fair and it turns around and bites her in the butt basically she gets on like this cam site essentially and it's nothing too scandalous she's not on there fiddling with herself but she is doing like mini strip teases where she gets down to like a bra or maybe a nighty or something and she's dancing around her room she keeps it torso only so you don't see the face or anything but of course she's not careful enough. She's doing this all in her bedroom. And one of her followers basically, essentially starts to blackmail her because he figures out her identity and threatens to blab or unveil her to everybody if she doesn't do what he says when he says it, which is terrifying, but it's something that she deals with. She also finds love, kind of. The promise of love, I would, I should say. An instance of love, potentially, with somebody she didn't think she was going to find, which was really cute. Um, we also had uh, Umang, who I hope I'm saying that correctly. I don't think I am, but here we go. So you've got Umang, who is bisexual for the show. They make it a point to show you that she's bisexual. However... She only has one instance where she actually gets with a guy. And that's at the very, very beginning to show her bisexuality. For the rest of the show, she's devo she's in committed relationships with women. You know, not to say that bisexuality isn't a real thing or or whatever that means. I just found it it felt like it was a a filter so that they could have this have this character in the show. Like, no, no, she also likes guys, but they primarily focus on her relationships with other women, which I found very interesting. So you see her, um, her origins even are steeped in the fact that she fell in love with and wanted to be with uh, uh, 
either her best friend or I don't think he started out as she this girl started out as her brother's girlfriend but ultimately this this woman she loved growing up ends up marrying her brother like there's a whole conversation she has that relates to their culture about how she wants to get on with her life and in doing so that means getting married having kids and taking care of her husband like that's her goals and Umani can't I'm sorry not Umani Umang can't understand why that would be important or like why why they couldn't just be together so ultimately that's what pushes her to go to Mumbai we get to see how those girls meet. We get to see how they become friends. And we get to see how messy they are, <laughs> which was really refreshing. Domini especially became my favorite. And even get into her love life. She is hilarious. And also dealing with like some control issues on a very serious psychological front. Like she has moments where you see her, um, she has this compulsory organizational tick where if you leave her talking long enough, she'll just start organizing things and getting them into like a perfect line, a perfect succession. Her gynecologist even points out that she's got this obsessive need to organize things and, con- and control things. And he asks her if she's ever talked to anybody about it. And she immediately like disregards it. And is like, nope, I'm not crazy. I don't need to talk to anybody about it. I'm fine. <laughs> she's like, okay, all right. But then we see other instances of it, like when she's hanging at the bar after talking with her friends and she's talking with the fine bartender. You see her organizing things and being very particular about it when her life falls to shit because she's working at this job that basically is dismissing her. They replace her with the tabloid person. She's about to lose everything. It becomes so much for her. She traps herself in the bathroom and says that she's stuck because she's been trying to count the bathroom tiles on the floor and she has to do it before she leaves, which is, de- they definitely lean into like an obsessive compulsive disorder that she probably has that is not diagnosed. But they also use it to show how she gets closer to her main love interest for the show, which is the bartender. I want to say his name is Varun, but I don't think it is. He's fine. He's fine. If anything, watch the show just for the fineness of it so many fine people are in this show so many fine guys are in this show i could not believe it they do have sex scenes in the show but they are definitely not as gratuitous as sex in the city so comment down but they're also pretty gratuitous for an indian show i would say this is the first time i've ever seen anything like this on a television show women openly talking about orgasms openly talking about uh, other factors in their life that usually we never ever even see them touch base on. By the end of the season, uh, everything kind of just falls uh, fucking apart, falls apart. There's a lot of things going on in everybody else's lives and they're kind of all stuck in their own messes to be there for each other's messes, essentially. We've got Umang who for the most part has kind of, just like the chillest one, of everybody, she's the one who knows the most about herself, but also has her moments of of doubt. She gets into a relationship with a celebrity, this female. Uh, she starts out by being a personal trainer to get her ready for a movie. They end up hitting it off and kind of getting it on. And Umang falls hard for this woman. And this woman seems to fall for Umang, but then like stiff arms her in a lot of different situations, like tries to create distance so that people don't get the wrong idea. They are still in India. And it's uh, as as progressive as it's trying to get, it's still not progressive enough to be very open-minded about an out and gay actor or actress 
in the industry. So she's like, I need to protect my career. What we have is fun, but we can't take it beyond whatever we got going on in closed doors. Now, of course, Umang is crushed, but it gets out anyway. And Umang tries her hardest to like get back with this woman that she's fallen for, but it's a no-go. It's a no-go. So it is soul-crushing and Umang's dealing with this mess. We've got um, Anjana who's dealing with her own crisis. So in her own process of trying to deal with the fact that she's got an ex-husband who is definitively moving on. Like he's met somebody, he's already making plans to marry her. They already talked about having other kids. Not only that, this woman that he is seeing is great with her daughter. And on the one hand, it takes her a while to come around and see that as a positive, because for the longest she kind of sees it as a replacement. Like this person is trying to infiltrate what she already has and is trying to fully take over, which is not what the, to be, to be fair to the show, that's not what the woman's trying to do at all. She's trying to take everything in stride and as is, but plot, well, kind of plot twist. Her ex, uh, Anjan's, Anjana's ex, her ex-husband, he becomes the problem. As soon as he sees her moving on, she starts getting into a relationship with some, uh, with an intern from her company. So he's a younger guy, also fine. So many fine guys in this show. She gets intimate with this guy and she starts seeing this guy and her ex-husband gets immediately threatened and jealous and starts trying to look for ways to distance, basically hurt her, like grab her daughter from him, do all kinds of craziness. It culminates into this insane night where um, things weren't going great for the girls in the first place. They were dealing with a lot of fallout with a lot of shit that was going on, uh, city, uh, basically uh, came clean about her blackmailer, how this guy was blackmailing her for posts she did for this campsite. She gets turned on by Anjana, who's like, you brought this on yourself because you're doing the campsite. And her argument is that in the world that they live in, you know, revenge porn is a thing. Um, Women getting lambasted for less happens. So you need to be proactive and protect yourself and not just easily put yourself in a position that where it could backfire. But on the other hand, you've got Domini and Umang who are like, well, hold up, wait a second. We should definitely be living in a world where we make our own decisions and not have to worry about the a male's version of the consequences of what's gonna go down. What are you talking about? And they all just start fighting after a lot of drinking. And then it becomes internalized. They all start talking about their own problems. And this, and poor CD's over here like, I called you guys to help me, to help me for two seconds. That's all I needed. I don't need all of this other stuff. And then she finds out who her blackmailer is. Turns out he's the father of the guy that she has been dating and could see herself loving. And he is gross. He is gross. He's sufficiently disgusting. This guy with a smile on his face essentially tries to hit on her by calling her her screen name like over and over again. He mixes these gross comments about her figure and her body and what she could do sexually for him with threats that he she needs to distance herself from his son and or he's gonna you know release all this stuff blah 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 which he does anyway like she tells him to go fuck himself and beats him she does a great job of him in his face so she did land that but because of that he goes through with his threat and he completely unveils everything that she did online to the world. 
the nice turnaround about this, if you can find a a hope in all of this madness, we don't get to see what the boyfriend thinks. But when she gets back to her family, the person she was closest to was her dad because she was having problems with her mom this whole time. He can't deal with it. And he's, he, you see him walk away from her, which is a huge loss. But then you see her mom embrace her. Like after everything goes down and she's expecting the worst, she's expecting to hear it from her mom because her mom has not taken her side on anything. Her mom embraces her. And I, I love that. I love that in the deepest need, her mom is right there for her. And it was, oh, it was nice. It was nice to see that turn around. We also had Domini. So Domini's whole shit story towards the end. She's, like I said, she's been dealing with the job thing. She figures out the job thing, but she kind of made a mess of her love life. The series starts with her having sex dreams about her gynecologist, who is fine. Like, there's a lot of good looking guys in the show. So Domini, especially Domini's love interest, like they're really good looking. She's having a sex dreams about her gynecologist, appropriately so. He's a fine silver fox. Um, and it comes to fruition eventually. Like she finds herself in a position where she can act on her, her lust, basically. And it pans out for her. So the doctor at first is like, no, you're a patient. And then it's like, no, okay, let's go ahead and get naked. And they have a, an intimate moment where it, it felt like it was a, pre- <laughs> a preview, but he was like, no, that was the show. Like he, he showcases he's got ability to pleasure her. But then it ends like abruptly. <laughs> and he's like, all right, so we'll, you know, we'll save everything else for next time. And she's like, what the fuck? Like, so, like bubble bursted. This fantasy she built up about her gynecologist. The reality is nothing like what she had imagined. So she was just like, I don't, okay. And then meanwhile, she's been having like these uh, moments with the bartender. They have a history. They've been friends for some time. And after a drunk night at a festival, they become more than friends. She... Uh, hyped up on drugs tells him <laughs> that she likes him and he tells her that he likes her and then they kind of hit it off like they have a whole moment where they're at his uh, family's party they're celebrating the anniversary of his parents who have been married for some time and they they hook up and they get together and it's beautiful like it's so cute when they get together and he's one of the few he's the only guy she she lets sleep over he he likes her even for her faults. Like I said, there was a whole moment in there where she had to count bathroom tiles before she could leave the room. And he's like, all right, I'll count them with you. Let's go. Like boo material, boyfriend material. And then she fucks it up. So <laughs> apparently they never labeled whatever it is that they had going on. Mind you, they've been spending a lot of time together. Uh, the gynecologist kind of comes back into the storyline. He pops up after her whole long uh, vacation out to that festival. And she does a piss poor job of letting him know, listen, what we had going on, not going to do it for me. I'm kind of seeing somebody else. So thank you, but no thank you type of thing. Instead, she kind of like drags it out and makes it awkward. And it results in her and the doctor kissing in front of the bartender. And this bartender has his own baggage. He had a girlfriend who cheated on him and he lost it. He didn't go insane or anything crazy, but he broke up with that girlfriend. He tried to erase her from his history entirely and tried to move forward. And Domini was one of the first girls that had stuck around with him since that girlfriend. So it was like, ah, Domini. So after all that ends, 
uh, she tries to half-ass. She tries to like clear things up, but she's also like, I also have this business stuff that I got to focus on, but I will get back to you. And he's like, whatever, fuck, I don't care. Then she realized what's imp- what is important to her. Yes, her career is important to her, but not as important as really settling things and moving forward with this bartender. And she has this whole heart to heart with him in the last episode where she lays everything on the line. She tells him how she feels, how she wants to be with him and what she thinks they should do moving into the future. And it looks like it's gonna happen. And then of course, Rug gets pulled out from underneath everybody at the very end. Plot twist, he got back with the ex that cheated with him. The other major love of his life. And that's how the series freaking ends. Everybody's like up in the air. Oh, I forgot that. Uh, So Anjana and, and her, her cliffhanger. So like I said, she's got the jealous ex who's just pissed at her because how dare she move on when he told her to. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole moment in there where her daughter gets sick. After a night of drinking with the girls and they have that huge blowout and fight, she gets a call from her ex-husband's girlfriend who's been watching her daughter because it's her time. It's her daughter's time to spend with her father. Father is gone. No one knows where he is. So it's this girlfriend that's watching her daughter gets sick. And it's a situation where the girlfriend can't take her to the hospital because she doesn't have transportation. She also does not know how to drive. Uh, and for some reason, she also can't call a cab or something. So she's like, I'm just gonna wait till, you know, your ex-husband comes home. And she's like, girl, we can't do that. If my daughter is sick, we gotta take her to the hospital. We can't just be waiting around. I'm coming. She books an Uber or did she drive herself? So she somehow makes it back to the girl's house where her daughter is. She is drunk and it's pretty clear that she is drunk. And she comes in and gets her daughter. And the whole time the girlfriend is like, whoa, we need to slow down. Maybe we should call an Uber. Maybe we should, you know, do this or do that. I don't think it's safe for you to drive. And Anjana is like, no, fuck you, bitch. I know my, <laughs> I know my daughter. I'm sober enough to get this done. I'm out. And so she leaves with her daughter in tow, gets in her car drives mind you she's been drinking inevitably they get in a car accident she's distracted she's trying to keep her daughter awake while paying attention to the road she's flipping out she's drunk car accident occurs which results in police being called as well as the ambulance she has to do a breathalyzer test she definitely fails that breathalyzer test but it's uh she's got enough time to go to the hospital to make sure her daughter is okay daughter gets checked daughter gets seen ex-husband shows up rightfully pissed but also in the wrong so he basically uh is upset with the fact that they got their daughter was in danger that the daughter got into a car accident with the mother who was drinking and got behind the wheel he rips into her and she rips into him she's like where the fuck have you been i can't believe you left her with your girlfriend who can't do shit what is wrong with you and they're fighting with each other and then he goes below the belt and he's like listen uh, basically she's been coming, becoming friends with his girlfriend out of, uh, basically the kindness of her goddamn heart so that she, they can all move together as a family unit for their daughter. But in doing so, apparently this girlfriend has been sharing everything that Anjana has been telling her, uh, including the fact that Anjana has her moments where she feels like being a mother is just, is just so overwhelming. She tells her that sometimes she wishes that she was on uh, her daughter's aunt rather than her mother because of the stresses of everything else that she's handling by herself. 
by herself. So apparently, though, this girl has been telling her ex-husband everything that she's been telling her in confidence. And he uses that to say, this is why I'm going to, I've decided I'm going to the judge to get full guardianship of our daughter because you're a danger. Clearly, this is out of pity, or not pity, this is a petty move, clearly, with all the other unjustified feelings he's been having about her. But it's also hard to ignore the fact that the reason they're in the hospital right now is because of the car accident. So rightfully so. She's having a mental breakdown in this hospital. She does not want them to take her daughter. She knows she fucked up, but she's she's at her wit's end. She's at her wit's end. She feels alone. And they just had a, she had a huge blowout with her friends. It's not looking good. And she's in Mumbai. So I don't even know what the jail system looks like for something like that. Like... I'm sure it's way more severe than it would be in America. Anywho, so that's what she's looking at. She's looking at jail time. She's looking at losing her daughter. And she's looking at not having any contact with her friends ever again. Cliffhanger. That's the end of that cliffhanger. The show was really good. Uh, I was reading on social media from other people who watched it, who were a part of the culture, who felt like it was cringy in a lot of parts and maybe trying too hard in other parts. It probably was probably was but I enjoyed it for what it was and it's not that often that I come across shows like this that identify as feminist have a very liberal leaning towards a lot of the dynamics of what's happening with women and share such such a vibrant story as they did with this show so if you get the chance to watch it I highly recommend you catch four more shots please their subtitles which I definitely use to watch it. But you only, honestly, you only really need them half the time. They do this thing where they flip between Hindi and English. I've seen it in a lot of movies. Again, I'm not a part of the culture, so I don't know if that's just something that happens. They were colonized by England for quite some time. So I don't know if that's one of the uh, offshoots of that. But even if you watched it without the subtitles, you'd get a lot of what was going on because a lot of English is used in this. So if subtitles aren't necessarily your thing, you can still watch this without it and understand exactly what's going on. Just saying. But check it out. It's real quick. It's real short. I'm going to say there's 12, 12 episodes, maybe 11, 11 or 12 episodes. They're 30 minutes each. Definitely check it out if you get the chance. It was really, really cute. And also, did I mention all the fine people? <laughs> so many fine guys in this show. So just for that alone, I really hope there's a second season to it as well because of these cliffhangers they just left you hanging with. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I will be talking about The Punisher slash Glass right after this. Aloha, beautiful listeners. It's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take this moment to thank you for all of those listening ears that check out my ramblings on this podcast. Please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts as they really help this little podcast grow and grow. Also, don't hesitate to reach across those social media lines to talk about all things geek with me. Check out Curvy Geeky Fangirl on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget that if you listen to this podcast on Anchor, you can leave an audio message that might get played on the podcast. Just saying. Now, back to my ramblings. All right, so real quick, I wanted to talk about Punisher and Glass 
which are two, which is a TV series and a movie that I caught a little way while ago. Again, I don't remember if I talked about Punisher. I think I made a note too, and I don't know if I actually did it. So forgive me if I'm talking about this again, but maybe it'll shed some more light. So here we go. So I caught Punisher the weekend it dropped, actually, um, accidentally. I did not know it was it dropped that particular weekend. I, uh, I had a FaceTime with my brother, and he was like, oh, you want to catch uh, Punisher? And I was like, that's out. So <laughs> basically watch Punisher. Uh, the reviews on it on this latest season of Punisher aren't favorable. And I understand why. If you get the chance to watch this season, it's got its points where it's really good. And then it's got its points where you're like, why is this? Why is this here? Essentially, it's doing the Netflix Marvel thing where you've got like these different storylines that don't necessarily correlate with each other and don't flow cohesively at all. And in Punisher, you have three different storylines going on. You've got Frank Castle's storyline with him trying to start over, essentially, after everything that went down the first season, uh, but failing miserably, uh, <laughs> getting embroiled in another situation that has nothing to do with him. And then also picking up on a situation that has everything to do with him, and that's the Jigsaw storyline. But kind of like Evan and Flo and out that storyline, they, they gave Jigsaw like his own thing for a long time. Like it felt like it should have been its own show for there for a while. And by the time him and Frank actually meet up, you're like, what? So, <laughs> and then it lasts a lot. Then it seems to last even longer. And this is not a long season. So it, it, it didn't flow smoothly at all. And then not only that, but you have a storyline with Jigsaw and his own personal endeavor. So he's got a love interest. He is making friends, uh, you know, tearing the city apart. And all of this is happening. And then also you have a storyline with like this girl that Frank is helping out who has ties to what we thought was like the Russian mob, but turns out to be a bigger story about conservatives who are trying to blame it on the Russian mob. I was very confused with this other side story they threw in there. It didn't make any sense. But it started strong. So the first episode that we kick off with Punisher is Frank is no longer in New York. He's, I don't even know where he is. He's in some other place, but he's at this bar and he's kind of hitting it off with the bartender. And the bartender, if you're familiar with her, she's done a lot of stuff in like the sci-fi film genre. She was in, oh crap, that Vin Diesel movie, the sequel to Pitch Black. I can't remember what it was called. Something Chronicles? Something Chronicles. But um, she was in that. She's also in um, the other Amazon Prime series. Oh, I don't even remember what that is called. The Man in the Tower? Man. I don't even know what it's called because I don't like that series. It's basically a series about an alternate timeline, alternate world where Nazis won uh, and they are actively trying to destroy any remnants of the timeline where they lost. Man in the High Tower? Maybe man in the high. I don't remember. Anyway, she's in that. She's like a star for that uh, for that show. That show confuses the hell out of me a lot. And I know some people love it. They love it. They think it's super complex, and they like the ideologies that are introduced in the show. I, it's so depressing to me. Like I don't. I can't get into it. But I know that she's in it, so that's how I recognized her. She plays the bartender for Punisher season two. 
Uh, so her and Frank hit it off. Her and Frank get down, like nearly immediately. To be fair, I don't blame her. I don't blame her. John Berthal is coming at you with charisma. And you're, who would not, who would be able to turn that away? No one. So didn't blame this character. However, then it, it goes from being like a sweet moment to Frank can't have any nice things, which granted is pretty much his story. Like he can't have nice things. He's too twisted and hurt and also damaged. So we see that kind of parlay. He's at the bar when shit goes down for the side character we get introduced, this younger girl. Uh, she's kind of wanted for things. She was in a business. I don't even know what they did. Were they just blackmailers or whatever? They, they were supposed to run some sort of mission to get information on somebody, to blackmail somebody. And it doesn't work out well. And it ends in the murder of all of her friends. And she's the only survivor. And she still has whatever it is that they need. I don't know if it's a flash drive or what, but she's got proof of something that somebody needs and they're trying to take her out. So they send these hit people after her. First of all, they send like a squad of hit people. Like it's not one or two, it's like five or six for this one girl. Not sure why we needed all of that. Well, I'm pretty sure it would have been less noticeable had it been two people. But whatever. So they send like five people out there to go get this girl. Of course, Frank takes notice because they're moving pretty strategically. They're eyeing each other, looking over shoulders, have weapons on them. He manages to disarm quite a few of them, save the girl, kind of kidnap the girl, basically kidnap that girl to save her uh, and gets the hell out of town, gets the hell out of Dodge. Uh, and I mean, in the process, his future with the bartender destroyed. She gets really hurt in the process of him trying to save this young girl. And then even afterwards, uh, because she had a relationship with Frank, she's kind of forced to give up some information on him. Not much, because she doesn't know much about him, but enough for the rest of these bad guys to chase him down now that he's got this girl in tow. Then we get to see Frank's relationship with this girl kind of grow and evolve. I don't know why we needed that either. I'd love to say we had sweet moments, but it didn't. If it, it'd be one thing if they brought this in and termed it as like a, or maybe this was the intention to, uh, to show just how far removed Frank is from reality. Cool, but it doesn't seem like that was the focus. It was like, this is Frank trying to be a good guy. He's trying to save his, this girl. He's got these moments where he kind of flips the fuck out thinking that she should know better about certain things and completely forgetting that, you know, she is at her core, just a regular chick, has no idea about all of the serious serious nature that she's in. And he, he goes insane on some parts. Like there's a part in there where he's he tells her to hide in this trailer, right? And not to the door for anybody, blah, 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 to protect yourself. And also he was trying to teach her self-defense, like how to maneuver if somebody's got a gun to you, how you can maneuver it so that either you take control of that gun or you get away from that situation. And she decides to put this into action. She's feeling gutsy. Frank comes by or he comes, I guess comes home to this trailer and she tries to put it into action. And of course, Frank has the upper hand on it. And I don't know if this is, was supposed to trigger like a memory for Frank to always stay active and alert or what, but it goes terrible, right? So she tries to get the best of him, doesn't work, and he takes it a little too hard on her. Like he slams to the ground and is shouting at her and yelling at her and telling her how serious she's take things. And we get those little moments here and there between them where like she thinks she's doing good with him and then something ha like this happens where he flips out. 
And then she doesn't know where she stands with him anymore. And it wasn't consistent enough to be like, oh, this could be related to PTSD or, oh, this could be related to the fact that he feels closer to her. They don't happen cohesively enough for you to be like, yeah, instead it just looks really weird and oddly placed. So that a lot of that happens throughout Punisher. I will say the highlights of Punisher though was Jigsaw for me. Uh, the villain that they gave, they gave a huge backstory to in this second season. We got kind of a backstory in the first season. Uh, I also loved him in the, <laughs> the first season. I loved the twist on his take. I know some people didn't like the first season. Now we're the second one now. But I liked that at first, this this character who goes by a completely different name that I don't remember right now. Uh, he comes across as the good guy, the, the good natured guy to Frank's hardened exterior of loss he comes as like this good nature good old boy type of situation trying to be there for frank trying to be there for the detective and the whole time he's a master manipulator the whole time he's been screwing people over left and right and with a smile on his face and he doesn't care because he's psychotic so i kind of like that in that first season and then in the second season and i'm not sure why this happened but we have this character who has no memory of his past. So we're basically dealing with a blank slate who's in a lot of pain and trying to piece piece together, get it, Jigsaw, uh, his history and what exactly happened to him. He's got, he's got uh, strong memories of his time with Frank and he remembers Frank being a friend. So he is dealing, oh, because he also, is trying to figure out why he got into the hospital in the first place, why the cops are constantly at his door and why he might be indicted for uh, terrible crimes, horrendous crimes that he doesn't remember committed, uh, committing at all. He doesn't remember the detective when she comes to, to glare at him daily. Uh, he just knows he did some really bad stuff because that's what people have told him, but he doesn't remember anything. And he breaks out and he's like, I guess trying to figure things out on his own. The actor who plays this character, I thought did the best he could with the material given, and he did a really good job. He did a really good job. I also did laugh out loud because they mask up his face because we know that some crazy crap happened to his face. At the end of season one, Frank basically takes his face to a broken mirror on a carousel and drags it all over the place. So we, and if you read the comics or even looked up what Jigsaw's supposed to look like in the comics, part of his story is that something terrible happened to his face usually frank and it looks like jigsaw pieces it's so scarred so badly they look like jigsaw pieces and that's why he's jigsaw but in the tv series i guess in an effort to keep him attractive they still put the scars there but it's not enough for you to be like ooh, destroyed it's more like oh so still handsome under <laughs> for some reason it that part was hysterical but the guy who plays him plays him crazy plays him as like I thought he did a really good job of balancing the small amount of good that's still left in him with all of the bad that happened to him Jigsaw's backstory is fucked up it's fucked up like he was in the foster care system apparently he was placed in a lot of homes that were either emotionally or physically or sexually abusive to him and he figured out how to survive all of that. He didn't really find or feel like he was in a family situation until Frank, when they go through all they go through in, in the Marine Corps. And then even a little bit after when he's trying to secure a place for himself, he still views Frank as family. Mind you, this did not stop him from screwing Frank over, but he still sees Frank as family. So 
you see him kind of put things together. He meets with an old foster care father, or I should just say foster care person uh, that used to keep him. That got real creepy really fast, really, really fast. We find out all the bad stuff that is happening to this kid. He gets revenge. He gets revenge for some of the memories he's gaining. Um, there's also this romantic relationship he's got with his psychologist who was assigned to him, um, supposedly to help him regain memory because he's supposed to be spending time in jail. She actually helps him break out. She doesn't tell anybody he's trying to, <laughs> trying to leave. And then when he comes, he comes back to her because he figures she's a safe space and she makes herself a safe space for him. And then they have very awkward sex. The sex scenes in this season, I, yeah, weird, weird. Maybe that was supposed to be the point though. Like the, the Frank and bartender sex situation, it ebbed a little bit to me. It ebbed a little bit better because it was a whole like, he's starting a new leaf. This is a chance for him to be a new self and he was culminating that with finally <laughs> finally connecting with another human person but with the jigsaw i don't maybe that was supposed to be a parallel with jigsaw and the psychologist like it's again it's him connecting with a person but it's a person who's just as off hinge as he is so all they kind of glean from it is pain and they make it a point to show you that pain is what works for her and pain is also what works for him but it was still oddly pieced together and i was not here for all the <laughs> all of that romance that they were trying to show like how she was basically an enabler the entire time and also trying to manipulate people to help him it didn't a lot of it did it it just didn't make sense to me why we needed that for the jigsaw piece i felt like we could still get a lot of Jigsaw's information with everything except that romantic point they put in there. There's a whole part in there where Jigsaw is also dealing with the fact that he's a veteran that's kind of been disregarded. And that also fed into his need to establish himself once he got back from their missions. Missions that were questionable in the first place, by the way. He ends up making friends with a bunch of other veterans who also feel displaced. And that's a real thing. That's a real thing. I happen to work with a lot of people who are veterans from the military. Uh, and it, it, it's like that you, you devote a lot of time to helping this cause that basically completely takes over your life. And then when you're no longer a part of that, especially if you're separated, like you don't retire, if you just separate or you get discharged from it, you're left on your own. You're left to kind of like piece together and figure out how to readapt to society after all of this massive change to your life, which is crazy, but it's a, it's a true fact. So I liked that they tapped on that. And not only did they tap on it, they touched on a lot of realities for a lot of people, like this, this sense of loss and like, what do I do? And what am I supposed, what's the next step for me after all of this? So you tap onto this uncertainty. I could definitely see why when those veterans all get together, mind you, it's for nefarious plans, but they see a, a united purpose and then it gets insane. So after that, it's not that far of a step, I don't think I would say from uh, all the scandals that kind of dropped, oh, was it early 2000s? There used to be black ops groups that were former military people basically uh, that became contracting groups that worked overseas alongside armed forces or whatever. And then it dropped 
that, yeah, these guys were going overseas and, and doing some work, but they also were doing like insane things like having prostitution rings and drugs. So it, I could see how it wouldn't be that far of a step after you've trained these people to be living weapons, that they then decided to use it for their own questionable, eth you know, ethical purposes. And then just went full dark side because that's exactly what happens. But I, but it was interesting. It was an interesting fall. So there's that. And then after all that, after all this setup with Jigsaw, they just, it just ends. It just ends. After him and Frank finally meet back up, they have like maybe two more encounters where they kind of just shit talk each other for a little while. And then eventually he gets ended. And I can't even remember... If it's Frank, that leads to his death in the first place. I think he gets really hurt by somebody else coming after him. And then Frank finishes him off, I want to say. I also don't remember because they don't make it important. It's just like, uh, done. And on to the next thing. This conservative storyline that they threw in there. There's this whole part in there where apparently there's like this conservative, um, very religious group that is trying to control... I don't even know if the government is even it, what they're trying to control or just protect their son. There's a whole storyline in there that relates to the girl about a would-be politician who could be outed as gay. And the parents of this politician are super fearful of what that's going to do to their family and for his future. And so they hired people to stop the blackmail from occurring with the blackmail the girl was supposed to be a part of. Uh, which apparently meant murder. And then, <laughs> of course, it doesn't work because the girl survives. She still has the proof. And then there's this whole part in there where they also introduce this very old-timey pastor-looking guy who gets a backstory too. So there's a new villain in town who kind of has to face Frank because he's trying to get to the girl. And apparently this villain has ties to neo-Nazism from back in the day. He used to be in New York. He was full neo-Nazi. Uh, something went down and he almost got caught for something insane, for a, a murder of some sort. He ends up getting saved by this conservative couple and they kind of reshape him. They take him into their religious beliefs and he fully adapts to this, like, I don't want to say severe Christianity, but like, kind of, kind of. He like just full blown goes into this Christianity belief where he uh, forsakes like technology and kind of looks like he's going back in time, but he falls in love. He falls in love with somebody. They end up having a family. They end up having children and he's actually enjoying his life. He's enjoying the simplicity of this. He loves God. He loves his family and it seems to be working. It comes with the catch that he now has to be the weapon for this family that saved him. And at first he's able to balance it because he puts the belief in the people as well that I'm doing God's work because they say I am. So therefore this is fine. And then, <laughs> and then he realizes he kind of has a moment of loss when his past comes back to get him. Which I thought, which would be interesting if they ha didn't shove all of this information at you in like a f episode, in like one episode. So we g we don't even get a proper buildup to the unveiling that we get for this guy. And then it just ends like the jigsaw thing. It just stops. So like we have this neo-Nazi. He's trying to get the girl. He's, be you know, beefing with Frank. Then he has to meet with his past. So apparently he dodged out of New York 
right when he got in trouble. And according to the gang he was affiliated with, oh no, because he dodged out with their money too. So he stole some monies, uh, which I don't even know if that he used, honestly. But anyway, so he dodged out with the money and they they said that there's only one course of action after that when you abandon blah, 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 death, death. So they come after him, they start fighting him. He miraculously beats all of them. He has to murder all of them. There's no way he could leave with them just hurt because they're gonna keep coming after him. So he murders all of them and has a complete crisis of faith. It just kind of goes downhill from there. Like he's in a hotel room where there's like some, he's got a really loud neighbor. He goes to confront the neighbor and sees that it's a guy who's doing all kinds of drugs and he's got like a bunch of prostitutes in his room. And he's like, well, I'll just do this. And so he goes and does that. And he's dealing with these prostitutes. And at first I'm thinking, oh, he's going to murder everybody. But he doesn't. For the most part, he sends everybody home, except for like one prostitute. But he's like crying and confessing to her while she's giving him head. Like it's a lot of things happening at one time. And then, like I said, after all of that buildup, he has a confrontation with that conservative couple and then it just ends. And then it just ends. The end of that conservative couple uh, basically is Frank and the girl kind of meeting with them. Frank has been piecing together slowly, but surely throughout the whole episode, what the trail is leading back to this girl. And it starts with that conservative couple. The conservative couple gets taken out, basically. Um, I want to say the girl. Yeah, the girl. The girl confronts them after they have completely wrecked her life. Granted, she had a shit life before this. But it became shittier as time went on because of them. So she confronts them and without hesitancy, like, takes out the wife. Granted, she was, like, trying to warn them. and was like, don't do anything suspicious. And the wife was like, ooh, I'll stab you with this butter knife. She was like, nah, bitch, I got a gun. She killed her. So, so... Thinking fast and reacting fast, thanks to all of the very frightening training she got from Frank. She takes out the wife. Of course, she's shook. Oh, no, I take that back. She was about to take it, take it back. She was going to take out the wife, but then Frank shows up. And he takes out the wife. And so, But same same situation. The wife's like, ooh, butter knife. Frank is like, no, I have a gun. And he, Because the girl was all shaky and didn't know what to do. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to let you lose a part of yourself by taking out these fools. I'll do it and kills her. And then he hands the gun to the husband and he's like, you have two options. You can confess everything when we play this tape or you can kill yourself before everything has to go down. And then they leave. And then we hear a gunshot, presuming that that guy just decided to take that way out. And then the show kind of ends. So Jigsaw's dead. The conservative couple's dead. Uh, Frank is better than bruised for the most part. He got a lot of beatings in the process of trying to save people and stop things and whatnot. We don't really get a huge ending between him and Jigsaw, which I thought we would. We don't. Um, we don't even really get that big of an ending between Jigsaw and the detective that he literally and figuratively fucked over. But um, she no, she doesn't even really get a lot of revenge either. She confronts the psychologist because we put the two women against each other because why not? And she ends up pushing the psychologist out the window. And I'm thinking the psychologist dies, but she doesn't. She survives this fall. And then we get a whole backstory to her that in her past, she was pushed out a window. I don't know if it was by her dad, by somebody that fucked up her back. 
And so she's always had this fear of these super, of these big heights. You can't look out a window. And here she is getting pushed out a window and they're like, it's amazing you survived. I don't understand why she needed to survive. I have more questions. So yeah, that, but that mess of an explanation I just gave you was Punisher, basically, in a nutshell. It was insanity. And then very, very quickly, Glass, that dropped. It's just like all the critics and everybody else is saying. It had strong promise when we got split. Really strong promise. James McAvoy is still a highlight in Glass. It, it still has its parts when you see everybody together. Bruce Willis, Samuel Jackson, James McAvoy, where you're like, okay, this is pretty good. But because M. Night Shyamalan is M. Night Shyamalan, he likes to add unnecessary twists and turns and things that we didn't need. I, I would have enjoyed the story as is, where you had somebody who considered themselves a hero, somebody who considered themselves a villain, and somebody who kind of considered themselves to be an anti-hero, who felt like they were doing the real work while everybody was just being a sheep and ignoring everything. That would have been fine. But instead, he tried to broaden the world by introducing... Sarah Paulson's character, which plays into like this secret organization who understands that every, every um, not everybody, but heroes and supervillains have existed forever. And then he tries to parlay that into comics being the true history tomes of the world. So these aren't just stories of fantasy. These are rooted in reality and that there are people with ridiculous superhuman ability who then have an equal who use that same ability for villainy and the power dynamics and the shifts and blah, blah, blah. And in the movie, he tried to say that this was a group that was trying to control that particular aspect. If they had introduced this much sooner in the film, I wonder if it would still be as polarizing as it is. But also at the same time, I f it didn't feel like we needed it. By the time they unveil all of that, we are in the third act of the movie. <laughs> we are already, we've already spent so much time building up the eventual meet cute of all of these main characters. And when they finally do, it's for a split second and then it ends. And then we get this ridiculous backstory about a private organization. <sighs> promise, there was promise there. I mean, it was fun to see Samuel Jackson's character as being the manipulator that he is. I'm not gonna lie. I definitely left out loud at some parts when it came to Samuel Jackson's character. He played it beautifully. He did what he does. He did what he does. That's not a phrase, but I'm gonna make it one. So like he did great work. James McAvoy, like I said, was a highlight. He, you can clearly tell he is having a ball playing this person with these distinct personalities that come out of him. Especially when uh, there's several occasions in the film where he's got to jump from personality to personality really, really fast. And he does it. And he does it well. And it was even nice to see a solemn Bruce Willis who plays like the beleaguered hero. I forgot his abilities. I knew he was super strong. I definitely remembered that. But I also forgot that when he touched somebody, he could see their truth. So if you were a mass murderer and he bumped into you, he would see what was going down. I liked all of that. But then the way they ended it was ridiculous. Oh, I am in the spoiler section. So basically they all die. They all die. And I didn't understand why we needed that, why we needed all of them to die. They also left a bunch of unanswered questions. Like they kept harping on the fact that 
this worked in pairs. So if you had one person who was deeming themselves to be good, you inevitably had somebody who was going to deem themselves bad. This worked in pairs is the way that Sarah Paulson's character terms it. We had three people with these abilities. Three. So that clearly meant that there was somebody else in the background who could have teamed up with Bruce Willis's character that we never got introduced to. And then they leave it wide open, right? They they make it like this unveiling of truth of, of a kind. Apparently Glass's whole thing was that he knew all this was gonna culminate in all of their deaths, but he needed their origin story to launch the next phase of his plan, which was basically dropping the curtain on everybody who's got these abilities so they no longer have to hide. For somebody who's so smart, that's one of the dumbest things ever. Really? This guy was supposed to be ridiculously intelligent. You're telling me there was no way for him to be able to see the fruits of this labor at all? Like, just eh, but yeah. So that's that's pretty much my summation of Glass. Just eh, just eh, yeah. Split was good. Unbreakable was good. Glass wasn't good. So yeah, yeah. That's pretty much it. Just disappointments all around. Um, back to Punisher though. I'm pretty sure this is its last season. I don't see it being renewed. I haven't caught the news if they officially canceled it or not, but I'm pretty sure they're letting it go after this, which is a shame because John Berthal is a gift. He is a gem. And I'm sure that means he's going to have other work down the line, but I really enjoyed his Frank Castle. So I don't know. Here's hoping. Here's hoping that somewhere in the future, uh, John Berthal makes a return to Marvel or DC Comics in some sort of fashion. But I enjoyed Punisher for what it was. It wasn't bad. Glass, on the other hand. Glass, on the other hand. But yeah, we'll be moving on into uh, other shows I want to talk about. I don't even remember now because so many things. Oh, Russian Doll, right after this. Like all things geeky and nerdy, check out ForAllNerds.com, a site that strives to uplift people of color in pop and geek culture. Yours truly is the fashion and lifestyle editor over there with tons of fandom fashion sets for cosplay inspiration and everyday geek wear. Check out ForAllNerds.com today. All right, so talking about Russian Doll, which was the Netflix original series that dropped February 1st, so early part of February. Uh, it stars Natasha Lyonne uh, as Nadia. She's the main character in the show. You might recognize her from Orange is the New Black. I remember her from the 90s. Ooh, was it the 90s? Maybe early 2000s. Uh, she did a movie called But I'm a Cheerleader. Uh, and it was a show that I did not expect it to be the sh- what it was about. If you've never heard of or seen but I'm a cheerleader. You should definitely check it out. It's some. It's a show that, or a show, a movie that was pretty cutting edge for its time. It dove really deep into what we viewed or how we viewed the LGBTQ community, especially if you're trying to view it just based off of appearances or or whatever notions you had around it. It's a basically a story around this character who is sent to like this pray the gay awake type of camp, basically. And she meets up with other people. She doesn't think she has a problem because <laughs> she's like, I'm your every everyday average cheerleader. I don't understand what the big deal is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I might have some feelings here and there, but whatever. Uh, and she meets up with other characters who some are very secure in their own identities and others are like, I don't know why I'm here. There's one character in particular in Bunnam a Cheerleader that really stood out for me. And it was this character who, for, uh, the show or the movie does a really good job of um, really leaning into the stereotypes around her physical appearance. She is very, uh, pretty gender neutral in the clothes that she wears. She wears a lot of uh, male clothes. She presents as like very masculine. Uh, and she's put into this camp because they just automatically think because of how she dresses and how she holds herself that she's a lesbian. And she she's a character that just breaks down in tears and is like, no, I like guys. I'm not, <laughs> like, I'm, I don't like girls like that. I'm not sexually attracted to girls that way, but because of how I dress and because of, of how I hold myself, they've just decided this is what's going on for me. And it's not true. It, it's amazing. So definitely check out, but I'm a cheerleader when you get the chance. But anyway, the lead character from that movie is in this Netflix series show. And most people know her from Orange is the True, uh, Orange is the New Black, in which she plays um, a lesbian convict in that show with a huge drug problem. Natasha Leone is a very strong actress. She really is. She's very good at what she does. And uh, she kills it. She kills it in Russian Doll. I loved it. She basically plays this character who's dealing with her a lot of her own emotional baggage. It revolves around her birthday. It revolves around her mother. And it culminates uh, to an insane point for her because she's repeating the same moments over and over and over again. It's kind of like Groundhog Day, uh, except it's not a situation where she falls asleep and then wakes up into this scenario, she has to die. And then she then she's caught in this scenario. And sometimes she can make it into the next day for a little bit until she dies. And she's back in, at the beginning of her scenario over and over and over again. What I really enjoyed about the show, uh, the plot twist they added to it was that she's not the only one who's doing this. She's actually connected to somebody who's also going through the same thing. She's got a male counterpart uh, who's also reliving his moments over and over and over again. And towards the end of the series, they break it down that not only are they both dealing with this insane situation, but when they die, they both die at the same time and they both come back at the same time. And they are able to retain their memories from all of these past experiences. To the show's credit, they show that I don't want to say there's a definitive purpose to why this is happening to them, but they show that there is a reason this is going down and they are running out of time of figuring out why this is happening the way it is. It was really, really good. It was really, really good to see Natasha explore this character because this, this woman is incredibly complex. She's uh, got a history of mental illness in her family. She's got a mother who she quite clearly very much loved, but who was going through her own, her own psychological issues, basically her, her own illnesses uh, and not really handling it very well. I don't know if it was that she didn't have the tools to, or she didn't have the capability to. They do a good job of showing her as the mother figure as well-intentioned, but uh, 
basically completely a victim to her illness that's kind of taking over to the point that uh, her mother, I believe her mother, took her own life. And the reason that this is all happening around her birthday is because this is the birthday that would officially make her older than her mother ever got to be. That's a bit of a head trip. Absolutely. Definitely a head trip in that factor. And we find out the male counterpart, his whole deal is that he can't let go of certain things that aren't going to be good for him in the long run, essentially. He's got this girlfriend who's also an alum. Hello, Denai. Uh, Or not Dan. Oh, is it Denai? I think it's... Oh, no. I'm going to have to look it up. But uh, basically, he's got this girlfriend who's also from Orange is the New Black. And um, he's in a, he's in a broken relationship. He's in a one-sided relationship that isn't actually a relationship on top of that. It's something that he's kind of romanticized and placed on a pedestal, but hasn't actually been an active and working thing in quite some time. And rather than realize that and try to move on from that, he's like, nah, I'm gonna keep it as it is. And not a fact, I'm gonna do one more step above that and try to secure it forever. Not a good plan, not a good plan. Dasha, that's her name. So Dasha Polanco is his girlfriend in this. And uh, you see him trying to come to grips with the fact that this relationship that he's kind of counted on forever is no longer going to be uh, one of his main pillars for his life, but also he doesn't need it to be one of the main pillars of his life. So I like that. We don't get to see a lot of his interaction with Natasha till almost the third act of the series, but it also doesn't feel like it was a rushed job either. Like when we get the tail end of it, with them coming together and figuring out why they're doing what they're doing and what they have to face and face together. It works out so well. Like the, uh, it all boils down to the very, very end, basically. Well, after they face their own crises, they then have to help each other with a crisis. So like after they finally face down what's going on with them, you see them die and wake back up again. And we at first assume we're in the same timeline and then it turns out they're in each other's timelines. That makes no sense. But if you watch the show, it makes a lot of sense. So essentially you have Natasha's character who remembers everything that's gone on with the male character, but she's at the beginning of his timeline. So he has no idea who she is and he's about to do what he was trying to do in the first place, which was take his own life in that first loop. And she basically is trying to stop him from doing any of that so that he can see that it's not as bad as he thinks it is. And she succeeds. And it's the same thing on his end. He's got to stop Natasha from doing something terrible and losing her life. And at first it looks like it's a hard (laughs) road for him to win, but then he does it. And then it cut, and then it just merges at the end into this very interesting random pop-up parade that they join (laughs) but it works it ends up working at the end as a grand finale of sorts the series is incredible the side characters are hilarious there is this homeless guy that they get introduced to and i want to say he calls himself hammer he calls himself something abstract i'm pretty sure who ends up being like one of the wisest ones and it's kind of hinted 
that he's aware of what's going on. There's a hint there that he understands the duality of the timelines and the time loops that they're stuck in. And he's put there to kind of help them figure it out. It's not a heavy hint, but it's enough for you to be like, is he part of the bigger plan of what's going on here? He teaches them a lot of very interesting things. They have a lot of heart to hearts between the side characters and themselves. He's a wild character. And I enjoyed the ride. The show is a fast watch. There's, I want to say there's 13 episodes to this. 11. There's not a lot. It's like 11 or 13, 11 to 13 episodes, I want to say. And they're actually not short. They're like 40, I want to say they're 45 minutes each. So they're about an hour. But it just works so, cohesiveness. It works so well. It flows so well. It feels like it's moving a lot faster than it actually is. And if you get a full story, which is nice, it still kind of leaves you hanging like a tiny bit where you're like, okay, so did they learn? <laughs> did they learn? Are they merged into this this timeline together? Did they finally beat it? But also, I, it's one of those endings where if this is it, this is the only one-off we get for this show, it's not a bad place to end it. Uh but also, if we get a second season to it, I wouldn't mind it either. I'd continue watching it just for Natasha alone. It's very, very good. I really, really liked it. It's a, it goes into a lot of emotional things. Definitely a lot of exploring into that. But it was really, really good. There was, oh, there's this whole... <laughs> it is a dark comedy. So there's a lot of points in there where you're going to laugh out loud. And then points where you're, oh, you're going to be feeling things. But there's a point in there when her and her male counterpart or like trying to piece together why they're looping the way they are. And he gets really drunk and he's very upset with the fact that his girlfriend is sleeping with this guy that they've been making fun of for a while now. And Natasha, is, she's constantly horny. So she's like, well, let's let's go ahead and work this out. Well, let's, ha- let's go ahead and do it. So they end up going back, I wanna say to her place or his, no, his place. They go back to his place to get down and he is drunk. He is drunk. She's like straddling him and trying to dirty talk. And at first he's trying to dirty talk back to her, but then it just kind of drivels into like this stream of consciousness where he just starts talking about his girlfriend. And then he just starts slurring really badly. And she's like, whoa, 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 where are you going? Where are you going? (laughs) Tries to reel him back into what they're doing. It It was really funny. This show is great. So if you get the chance to watch it, check out Russian Doll. Like I said, it's a super fast watch. And the summation I'm giving you, just pretty much it. It's the story about this girl who kind of has to come to grips with a lot of the emotional baggage she's been hiding for the longest, trying to stuff in the corners of herself for the longest. But it's stunting her as an individual. And she's forced to unpack all of that, really focus and face what she's been so scared to do for the longest and comes out a stronger person for it. It's really good. It was really, really good. So definitely check out Russian Doll when you get the chance. Uh, yeah. All right, that's gonna wrap it up for the Gervy Geeky Fangirl this week. Oh, I've been playing around with other shows that I could possibly watch to cover here on this podcast to introduce more geek into my week now that all the CW shows are gone. I still haven't watched Young Justice, so that definitely is on the docket. I'm thinking of picking up another DC streaming show 
that is on that service because I am paying for that service and I haven't watched anything other than the terrible, no, I'll take that back. I watched Flash and I watched this very interesting early Superboy situation. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking of picking up maybe one of the other live action shows they've got, or maybe I'll just talk about old school Flash for a while. Yeah, I'm going to hem and haw about that for a little bit. Uh, but I also found a grip of shows on Amazon Prime that are either sci-fi or fantasy or maybe a little bit horror. Horror is a genre that I have, well, I should take this, explain. I like campy horror. Campy horror is something that I grew up watching. Freddy Krueger, Jason, uh, definitely stuff to make you scared people under the stairs. Definitely things that scared the bejesus out of me. But they're also like a campy fun type of horror. They're not a uh, a thriller of any sorts where you're like, you have to feel like a memento. They're, they're pretty cut and dry popcorn-esque movies of like, get ready to see a lot of silly and a lot of blood and a lot of jump scares. Get ready, go. So um, I watched something recently. I wonder if it's still in my, in my thing. I watched this horror movie recently called Hellfest. <sighs> Yo, I might be, I might talk about that next week. Hellfest basically is a movie about these kids who go to a horror festival. Mayhem ensues. So I'll probably, t- I'll probably talk about that. Um, but yeah, like I said, they f- I found a group of TV shows. Uh, first of all, there is a drag show called uh, Dragula. The Bolette Brothers. The Bo- uh, is it Bolette? I want to say Bolet Brothers. They're known for doing not glam drag. So they they do a lot of horror-inspired drag. They look like monsters or zombies. They get really twisted and sick with their music. With their music. Yeah, their music. But also their makeup. And it looks amazing. And there's two seasons on Amazon Prime right now. So I'm definitely going to go check out that. There's a show called Hellier, I want to say it's called which looks interesting. It's got a supernatural edge to it. Uh, I got paranormal researchers in a town trying to do things. I don't, I'm gonna check it out, see what that's about. Um, Salem is a show I tried to get into. I know it's canceled. It used to play on WGN. Uh, it ran for three seasons. I like witch shows. I watched the first season and try to get into it and uh, got confused in some parts and then just stopped watching it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can get back into it, especially since all three seasons are on Prime. So I'm definitely gonna try to check that, check that out while I'm still watching The Magicians as the time goes on. Also, uh, The Umbrella Academy is dropping this week. It's dropping on the 15th, which is another supernatural comic book show uh, that's gonna be on Netflix. So things to look forward to for me, Moving forward into all this business. Uh, Valentine's Day is coming up as well. I was thinking of touching on some romantic geek stuff that happens. But uh, all I could think of was ships that happen. And that could be a dangerous spiral. So maybe I'll I'll think of something else. (laughs) I'll think of something else. I'll try to get back into it. But we'll see. So that's pretty much it. For Kirby Geeky Fangirl, let me know if there's any shows or anything I should be checking out. I'm, I do watch anime. I'm still, well, I like a lot of Shonen Jump anime. So, apparently Hunter, Hunter, is it Hunter x Hunter or Hunter versus Hunter? Or I don't, I don't know. But a lot of people talk about that show. They're really hyped about that show. They really like it. Um, apparently there is a 
black female character in that show called Canary that a lot of people are there for. I had to look her up and then I got a little concerned. I had some questions. I don't watch that show. So if you guys watch the show, hit me up on Twitter at Curvy Geeky Fangirl and let me know if this assumption is wrong. A, the character design touches to me, the hairstyle they chose for this girl is a hairstyle that very much invokes a lot of uh, slavery hairstyles to me. They have her hair in, in a loose bunch twists and it has a specific look to it, a specific dated look to it. Not only that, but she is a servant to, I guess one of the main kid characters or something. And she's like a butler-esque type. There's a butler trope in anime that definitely goes on. There's a whole other anime show about this. Um, but she has to refer to them as her masters. And uh, I am concerned. I am concerned and I have questions. So uh, let me know if uh, I'm completely off point with this. But it def like the design, the fact that she's a servant, and she's got to call this these characters master. There's a lot of flags on the play for me to like jump into the show and really be there for it. So I don't know about Hunter. I don't even know if it's Hunter and Hunter or Hunter versus Hunter, whatever this is, whatever that show is. Um, I understand Japan has a different culture. They don't have America's history, but they also know America's history have questions so yeah that's happening that's something that's going on but um but yeah let me know if there's other shows especially shows i can stream you guys know i don't like don't like commercials so if there's shows i can stream on amazon or hulu or what's it called netflix let me know if i haven't already checked them out or i'm not covering it and i will be glad to uh i know hulu has that marvel show well the runaways that I really try to get into. I really try to get into. I got through the first season, barely, but I got through that first season. I try to get into the second season. I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I'm out of the age demographic now and I just don't care or what, but I cannot get into this second season of Runaways. And this is supposed to be the season that picks up, that like really kind of takes off and really showcases these characters. For me, it's just like a lot of whining, very little story movement, and just more crying. So I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But let me know if you love it. Let me know. Yeah, that's happening. So yeah, so those are the things that are on the plate, hopefully for the next recording. I will talk to you guys later. I hope you have a great week. Bye.